says lager brewed with orange people. Orange people. Orange people. <laughs> yes, it's just got... not the one in the White House. Yeah. <laughs> Check that out for all the content. That was well played. Yeah, well played. We didn't plan that. That's right. You're listening to a Christian and an atheist walk into a bar. I am your host, Jay. Beware the devil's lettuce, Dukesbury. And with me is my co-host, Ty. God created cannabis on day three, Gallenbeck. (laughs) And uh, if you couldn't tell by the intro, we are going to be discussing the topic of marijuana. But uh, to add to this conversation, we have a guest with us. We have Michael Sanicola who is the uh, author of an upcoming book called The Pot Preacher. And he has a very interesting story that I think will um, draw and kind of it works really closely with the topic that we like to discuss in terms of bringing people together, uh, having conversations, especially about topics that are not easy, but also topics that kind of bridge a religious conversation as well, too. Um, and before we get into that, though, we always like to start off by talking about what are we drinking? That's right. So, Ty, what do you got? Well, I was going to say we should let our guest talk about his beverage that he's drinking tonight. Sure. All right. So, Michael, what do you got today? Well, first of all, guys, thanks so much for having me. Uh, my wife and I are very excited uh, about being part of your show, my family as well. But I'm drinking O'Doul's. Yeah. And uh, I think of Boston. We lived in Boston. It's a non-alcoholic beverage. Uh, I don't really drink alcohol, uh, but I tell you what, I don't prohibit it either. And it's always great to raise a glass to mom and dad and, or uh, at a wedding to, in a celebratory uh, context. Mm-hmm. But O'Doul's, it tastes awesome. It tastes just like regular beer without the alcohol. I love it. There you go. Thank you. You're welcome. And in the theme of Boston, uh, Jay and I are also drinking Sam Adams. This is their winter lager, a festive Bach beer. Um, limited release says lager brewed with orange people. Orange people. Orange people. <laughs> yes. It's just got... Not the one in the White House. Yeah. <laughs> Check that out for all the content. That was well played. Yeah. Well played. We didn't plan that. That's right. Uh, orange peel, cinnamon, and ginger. So that's right. Well, great. So, So, again, thanks for coming on our show. Um, I think the best place to start with the story is the beginning. Um, Now, you come from a religious background, um, and especially on the topic of cannabis, you were on the side of what would be traditionally considered the, the conservative perspective Mm -hmm. on marijuana. So can you talk to that a little bit? Sure, sure. Uh, Of course, um, I started using cannabis cannabis when I was 15 years old. I Mm. was a teenager. It was uh, a family member had passed me a a, a marijuana cigarette or a cannabis cigarette or joint. And um, I started and it was, it was, it was okay. I felt great. Uh, But, you know, it wasn't something that I had pursued. If it was there, I'd smoked it. Uh, and then I had smoked a lot of cannabis all the way through college up to the age of about 23. Uh, I have sustained many physical injuries because of my background and um, sports. And so cannabis always helped me feel better. And I really uh, never really drank alcohol. Uh, it, and that's for a number of reasons. Uh, mostly because it just didn't make me feel good. Mm-hmm. And uh, pot made me feel good regarding my injuries, my uh, different challenges there. So, um, and then um, one day to answer part two of your question was um, uh, I was invited uh, to go to church when I was about 23 years old. I had grown up uh, in one particular denomination, well, Roman Catholic, and um, but I didn't really follow, I did not have any personal moral standards or personal integrity uh, of my own regarding you know, really being or striving to be like Jesus, to be quite frank. I was a pretty wild guy, you know, and uh, up until about 23. And then I straightened out my life and decided to get serious about my spirituality, about my life, what my purpose was. And I had sustained a pretty serious injury. I had broken my neck and my shoulder blade uh, in a baseball injury, uh, playing ball for Miami. 
And that was, you know, pretty shocking. Uh, and that kind of stung me. And at that point, I started to look for a deeper purpose. And I was invited at that same time, I was invited to uh, a church group or a church meeting. And I went there and I really liked the people. And I started studying the scriptures, the Judeo-Christian scriptures. And I got heavily involved and, um, and uh, decided to commit my life uh, to the Lord in a very fundamental, uh, very committed way. And for the next 25 years, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of your, your views on marijuana prior to your kind of youthful use of it, mm-hmm. um, did your, your um, venture into a more spiritual life take you in a different direction in terms of your views of it? Um, great question. <clears throat> well, two things. Uh, one, even though I enjoyed the effects of cannabis prior to my religious awakening when I was 23, 24 years old, um, when I looked in the scriptures, it talked about the word in Greek called pharmakia, which would indicate, well, today the word is pharmacy. And uh, basically, that was referred to as marijuana specifically, and it alters your mind. And I was convinced. I read it. I saw it. And my use of cannabis at that time, or I should say me stopping smoking cannabis at that time, was actually a very good thing for me because it matured me. It, it made me uh, think about a few things and make some life adjustments. So for me, it was a good time uh, to do it, to stop. Um, as time went on, I preached against uh, cannabis, among, among other drugs. I lumped it together with other drugs, which you would call Schedule One drugs, heroin, LSD, etc. I, I lumped it in there together for legal reasons and also because that was my understanding of it at the time. Um, and then, years later, <laughs> uh, I got a phone call on September 9th, 2009, that my son Michael had cancer. And that was it. And uh, I uh, was 49 years old at the time. So I'm just south of 60 now. So it's almost a decade. But when I got that phone call from my wife, it totally uh, flipped our world upside down and You know, not only do you question God, but you question everything. And how old was your son at the time? Michael was just two weeks before his 13th birthday. Mm -hmm. So that was rough. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a sip of my uh, O'Doul's beer here. Take your time. (laughs) Yeah, we uh, as parents, we we understand the... Uh, the the heaviness of its news like that. I mean, I I can't say personally, but we understand how that can just destroy you. And I think that's something that we've talked about a lot in terms of the the last thing you want to see in this world is for your kids to suffer. Right. Um, Because we all know that the the last thing we want to do is (laughs) be the one to have to bury a child too. Right, right. It's, it's, uh, It's an overwhelming thought. Oh. And it's something that I, I hope that nobody ever has to go through, you know? Right. Um, the helplessness that comes with that moment, mm-hmm. I think, is so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, my oldest daughter was diagnosed with glaucoma, which is a much milder disease in the grand scheme of things. But that moment of pure helplessness, mm-hmm. I think, is one of the scariest things I've ever been through. So mm-hmm. I can only imagine mm-hmm. um, on such a grander scale what that was like. Right. And of course, you know, for all of us, you know, we think about the fact that we can always compare ourselves to someone else or we hear some statistics. Well, you only have 5% chance of uh, acquiring this particular disease, or you have the genetic propensity to have mm-hmm. breast cancer, or this or that. Mm-hmm. Well, these fears. Well, when you have it, it's a one hundred percent. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those statistics Numbers don't mean don't anything. Don't Numbers mean zero. Mm-hmm. And the fear is what grips you. It's the fear of the unknown, mm-hmm. and it challenges. It's a purifier. I mean, it. You are naked before whatever God you believe in. 
whatever hope you have, whatever you grasp onto, you're there and you're you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're you can't control it, like you said, Ty. It's out of your control. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like it's free falling, which is only one of the natural innate fears that we have is uh, pain and falling. Mm-hmm. And you're emotionally falling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't feel the bottom. So you're 49 years old. No. When, oh, when, when, when this, you get this yes. news, uh, <laughs> your, your son is just shy of 13. Yes. Mm-hmm. You are currently in the ministry at this point? No. 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 Um, we had resigned from the ministry in 2002 okay. uh, because there's something preceding the cancer. Uh, my other two sons uh, were diagnosed with a condition called PANDAS. PANDAS is an acronym, P-A-N-D-A-S, for Pediatric Autoimmune Neurological Disorder Associated with Strep. And so the Streptococcus bacteria basically uh gets into your bloodstream and the excrement or the waste material from this bacteria goes into your bloodstream. The T cells sweep it up and it passes through the blood brain barrier and attaches itself. This mold or this uh, growth uh, attaches itself to the core of the brain or the basal ganglia causing seizures, night terrors, cognitive issues. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are many of them. The condition of PANDAS is now listed under the DSM-5 um, booklet, which is a, a diagnostic statistical manual for uh, medical conditions. Basically, it's a pharmaceutical book that lists different conditions. But uh, PANDAS, also PANS, is listed under the Autism Spectrum Disorder. Okay. The National Institute of Mental Health. You'll be able to find interest, interest there. But preceding the cancer, my other two sons were having seizures and night terrors. And so because of these seizures and night terrors, um, this all preceded the cancer. I had been experiencing that for 18 years mm-hmm. prior, my wife and I, with our other two sons. So it was a real challenge. Mm-hmm. It's complex. <laughs> As is life, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. So then... Talk about uh, Michael's diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. How did treatment start, and how did you end up going the the cannabis route for his treatment? Sure. Um, so on September 9th, I was in Denver. The family was in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I was working in Colorado. I got on a plane, um, and the next two days they had extensive testing. And we found out on 9-11-09 that uh, Michael was officially diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma stage 4. We learned that in the morning. We uh, received a very large 3-inch binder with the list of 13 chemotherapy medications in there. And we were told that chemotherapy session number 1 would begin this evening at 7 p.m. So at that point, when you hear your kid has stage four cancer, you start chemo, you, that's it. Mm-hmm. You're, you're hurting, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, if you've ever been hit before or have had a head injury or a serious physical trauma, you know, you're in that stage, you know, you're numb mm-hmm. and, uh, it's ugly. So we waited for about four or five hours. All the kids left the hospital, other family members left, and they started the first chemo session. And they start with one of the chemicals, the um, it's AKA called the Red Devil. And uh, Michael had a port in his chest. Uh, they had surgically put a port in his chest. And the Red Devil, this chemotherapy, was going down the tube and went into his chest, and Michael immediately sat up, lost his breath, and he was coding. They had all kinds of sirens going on, and basically they had to bring him back and get everything cleaned up. So he almost lost his life. This occurred right before my wife and I's eyes, and it was the most horrible thing we'd ever witnessed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, the only other thing could be, you know, if your child 
you know, expires. Uh, there could be nothing worse. So, but for us, we, you know, there was no tomorrow. I mean, we didn't know what was going on and we were stunned. At that point, we had no knowledge of alternative treatments besides chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery. And so we were really entrusting ourselves to the system, the medical system, the doctor, the nurses, uh, to the best form of treatment. Um, and so when you go through that and you go through your first chemotherapy session and your child almost passes away right in front of you, then you have to get through the night not knowing, okay, wait a minute, is this the only treatment that's going to save his life? And the only treatment that I've been aware or been told is chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. Now the night gets very, very long and now you're in fear. And the next chemo session number two is just in a few hours in the morning and everybody's petrified. Um, we went through the second, Michael went through the second round of chemotherapy and he was stable after the session, besides being nauseous and overall sick and feeling terrible, the doctors pulled us aside and said that they accidentally give my, Michael the wrong dosage. It was the wrong prescription. It was for a woman who had breast cancer and it almost took his life. So that was a really bad experience with chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And that was nine years ago. And there's still fallout from chemotherapy for uh, children and for women who were treated for breast cancer. And that's called chemo brain. And this is a very well-known side effect that affects the cognitive processes, clarity of thought, among other issues. So um, that's the side effect of chemo. At the same time, Simultaneous to that horrific event, the chemotherapy did shock or kill. It doesn't really kill. Well, it does kill a lot of healthy tissue, mm -hmm. but it doesn't kill cancer. It shocks the cancer into remission. And that was the initial dose. So we're grateful for that. Mm -hmm. And just not to confuse chemotherapy treatment with the intent and the concern and care and compassion of the medical providers. Let's not confuse the two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then, uh, obviously, chemotherapy was a mixed bag for you guys in terms of what the uh, the um, after effect, uh, aftermath of the treatment, but also the remission of it as well. Yes, sir. Where, where did you make the transition then to being... Um, approaching more alternative methods. Yes. So <clears throat> when Mike was diagnosed, um, take your time. When Mike was, um, when Michael was diagnosed, we all went through a very difficult time. So <clears throat> each family member, including uh, cousins and extended family, went through uh, a challenge and a transition. And for me, I thought I was getting a heart attack. I thought I had a stroke. And I was still going into work, and my good buddy from Boston, from Boston, his name is Mac. <laughs> let's raise it. Let's make a toast to to our Bostonian there friend, <laughs> Mac. This is Mac and Christy in Boston. Good buddy. Anyway, I told him what my problem was. He goes, Mike, have you considered smoking pot? And I said, I can't smoke pot. I'm a Christian, right? Of course not. I'm a former minister at that time, and. Um, and I have deep convictions about drugs. I don't do drugs. I, I mean, um, that sort of thing. And not an option for me. But at that point, you know, I started reading like I do anything else. Um, what I did was started researching uh, marijuana. Uh, the history that I understood of, of marijuana was really uh, very shallow. And I had been enlightened uh, to another perspective. Look, you can't change history, but you can change your 
perception of history mm-hmm. and understanding of history. And, um, and so I started, I just dove into it. And I, as I did that, I realized not only is it going to help me with my stress of uh, having not, or not having a heart attack, but it had a number of medicinal positive impacts on each of the family members, including my other children. Simultaneous to my discovery that cannabis calmed my nerves and didn't make me anxious and helped me cope with my fear of losing my son and the battle against cancer, my other son, unknown to me, who had the night terrors every night, just began started smoking pot. And my other son, who is a high school wrestler, also started smoking pot. And for the first time, Giovanni, in 15 or 16 years, started to sleep through the night. My wife and I couldn't figure it out. And he'd been through the whole spectrum of pharmaceutical recommendations, the whole nine yards, and the only thing that worked was pot. So I came into town. I flew back into town. From, as Michael was going through his chemo, I was flying back from Denver to uh, the Raleigh area, actually Apex, North Carolina. And we had a family, family discussion. And we say, look, I've been smoking pot. It's really helped me. Gino, we discovered that Giovanni's smoking pot. He's sleeping through the night. It uh, Pot helped Nico and his anxiety. Now, Michael, at that point, was doing chemo. But he had something else going on simultaneous to the cancer, and he had developed what they call a Chiari brain malformation. Perhaps through football, Michael was a tackle football guy, played a lot of football, tackle football, street football, organized football. He was a quarterback and a running back. Lots of trauma. So this fleshy material went down into his spinal cord and cut off the spinal fluid from the brain. So obviously that's going to cause a problem if you have no spinal fluid in your brain or in your spinal column. And so he developed a number of serious cognitive issues. Uh, He would also have ice pick headaches where he would fall down on the ground no matter where you were at in the fetal position, among other issues. So at this point, no one knows what's going on. My son's in extreme pain and his parents, you might as well have just done that to me. There's nothing that can relieve my son's pain. And at that time, you start questioning your divinity. You start questioning everything. How could this be tolerable? What what is right? How do I control this? What do I do? I'm the father. I got to figure this out. Mm -hmm. The worst part is that it's chronic. Mm -hmm. It's just always. And then immediately, right after Michael finished his last session of chemotherapy, January 10th, 2010, I moved my family from Raleigh, North Carolina to Denver, Colorado as uh, medical marijuana uh, missionaries, or refugees, I should say, Mm -hmm. medical refugees. And I immediately started uh, getting a lot of medical product. I got my medical card, of course, and started sharing uh, cannabis with my family to everybody's uh, comfort, amazement, healing, discovery, evolution, the beginning of the spiritual evolution for our family, Mm -hmm. not just Mm health-wise, but spiritually. And that's actually a very common thing to happen, too. Uh, There is a really popular story of, of Charlotte's web, which, uh, involved a girl who was having seizures all of her life. Um, wasn't finding any sort of treatment that was working from a traditional medicinal perspective and then end up using, um, CBD to treat it and eradicated her seizures. And I think that's one of the things that, um, cannabis-based products have actually been found to be the strongest in treatment is in addressing seizures. Um, and there's been a lot of people, and she was one that moved from, I believe it was Pennsylvania to Colorado. And there is a large movement of people, or maybe it was New Jersey, I can't remember, but was, I believe it was East Coast to Colorado. Um, and the uh, interesting thing about Colorado, too, is because we... We're one of the first to legalize it from a medicinal perspective. And I believe it was right around the time that you guys moved, right? It was yes, about like correct. 2009, yeah, 2010. Yeah. And then uh, we also passed recreational marijuana, making it a constitutional amendment 
uh, back in was it 2012, I believe. I or, believe so. Yeah, I can't remember the dates right off the hands or right off the bat. But uh, so yeah, you're. It's an interesting story of how Colorado has become, like you said, kind of a refugee uh, destination for folks who are seeking. Uh, an alternative treatment, too. Absolutely. Michael was the 91st child in the state of Colorado to get his medical marijuana license. Um, And a lot has evolved, like you said, a lot has evolved since then. They're also in the school system, I forget which county, but there's Jack's Law. So Jack's Law permits um, tinctures, uh, medicinal cannabis, full-spectrum cannabis, not just CBD or cannabidiol, but contingent upon your condition um, where they allow uh, caretakers to dispense cannabis products to medically qualified high school students. Mm -hmm. It's called Jack's Law. Mm -hmm. And that was passed here, and that was by a school teacher, a former school teacher, who was very much against pot because she didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think the revelation, here's the revelation. You know... The lost gospels of Thomas, they really weren't lost, but um, they were suppressed. But um, it talks about the fact that when you seek, you will find. And knock and the door will be open. And that's the traditional gospel that we have today, and respectfully. Uh, But also in the third century, there were a number of changes that were occurred in the scriptures. During the Septuagint, uh, or the 70, um, about 325 AD, they left out about 45 different books the religious political powers at the time, the powers that be, and the scholars uh, left out a number of books, but one of them was Thomas. And what Thomas says, he says, when you seek, you will find, but you will be troubled. That's what was left out. Troubled. Now, when I started to go down the rabbit hole of understanding the historical and the medicinal value of cannabis and the cannabis plant. China, going back 2900 BC, Emperor C. In India, you can go all around the planet and you're going to find a rich history of cannabis use and medicinal. Even in our own pharmacopoeia in the United States in the 1800s. It's only within the last 80 years that it's been demonized. And that's through ignorance and people being nascent. The difference between ignorance is it's there and you ignore it. Being nascent, that information was kept hidden or not available for the general public. Now, with the power of the internet, YouTube, Google, what have you, even though cannabis and marijuana does face censorship today, mm-hmm. clearly there's a wide open opportunity and people are getting the word out of the medicinal use of it and its power And the beautiful thing is that people are now taking their own health in a preventative sense into their own hands. Mm -hmm. But we still have a religious negative stigma and connotation with it. And that's what one thing that I can help churches with. Mm -hmm. Because if you knew that cannabis suppressed cancer cells, why wouldn't you use it? And that's kind of a good transition point too. Um, once you once you made it to Colorado with all of your family, um, what and this kind of transition in, in terms of becoming more of a vocal advocate for it. Uh, when did you have that that moment where you realized that you needed to uh, take on a larger role as an advocate? Can I? Take a step back, really sure, fast before sure. that. Yeah, um, I, yeah, we're gonna. I want to jump to this, mm-hmm. um, but I think for someone like me that's trying to understand your story, I think the important part of figuring out why you're becoming an advocate mm-hmm. is what what results did you start seeing that's a good um, point. In, yeah. your, in, in your kids, in your family? Mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned you were all seeing this, but what specific things were you seeing? Sleeping through the night, you mentioned, but mm-hmm. um, in the case of cancer, like what specifically did you start to see transform? Because mm-hmm. if you tried this and it did nothing, you wouldn't have become an advocate for it. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying it and you're seeing something, what was those results? What were those results? Great question. Um, so in our personal family, I saw 
for one of my sons, or my eldest, who has high anxiety and a seizure disorder, the, uh, historically, um, CBD or cannabidiol started to control his seizures. As Jay mentioned, the Fiji family or Charlotte's Web, mm-hmm. where um, that story was featured. And uh, uh, in 2013, by Dr. Sanja Gupta from CNN, and uh, CBD stopped Dravet's syndrome, stopped that, that level of seizure, as well as epileptic seizures. But as it also calms down complex partial seizures by creating balance in the brain of these chemicals. The neurotransmitters that, that are released, uh, they co-communicate. So what happens, let's say an epileptic, a brain neuron will release epinephrine or uh, some sort of chemical, adrenaline, and it will keep releasing, that neurotransmitter will continue to release that chemical regardless of the neuron, the brain neuron that receives it. So an epileptic, that, that the neurons are being poured out and they keep going and then they just stop. They start shaking and foaming and they can't communicate. Well, what cannabinoids do cannabis does when it's in your stream bloodstream and as it acts not only in the exterior of the cell but the interior of the cell and this includes cancer seizures and a number of conditions what it does it automatically co-communicates and they have a symbiotic relationship so if you're releasing adrenaline or if you're releasing uh whatever neurotransmitter the other neuron says hey that's enough i don't need any more let's say in the case of dopamine parkinson's a person shakes because they have an insignificant amount of dopamine. If you take a Parkinson's patient and you give them a high amount of full extract cannabis oil that includes CBD, cannabidiol, THC, among a hundred plus other cannabinoids, when that works synergistically, dopamine is released in your brain and it calms the person. The movement part of your brain gives you peace, makes you calm. You're allowed to talk and it affects the movement part of your brain. Because now the dopamine is now balanced. So, to answer the question, if you have high anxiety, you could take a dosage and a certain combination of cannabis, and it is about quality, purity, and dosage. Mm -hmm. And we use a rule called MED, M-E-D, minimum effective dose, right? We We tirade it, right? You start off small and you... Build up, and it's an experiment. So if a person's having high anxiety, well, they need something that's going to calm them down. Mm-hmm. If a person has cancer, we know that um, we know that cannabis oil and the cannabinoids work along with the endogenous cannabinoids inside your body, and together they suppress cancer cells, uh, glioblastoma, leukemia, Hodgkin's lymphoma, breast cancer. Uh, breast cancer itself, we know that CBD oil alone keeps breast cancer from metastasizing. So this is huge news. Now, the National Institute of Health has finally admitted and a number of mainstream organizations, reputable medical folks will all agree to it. And just to be clear, our own government has a patent on medicinal, medicinal marijuana And they talk about its neuroprotective and therapeutic effects as well. Mm -hmm. But I think what Ty's question was specifically, how was Michael, uh, how was his treatment going and what results were you seeing specifically with him? Michael's immediate relief had to do with relieving his headaches when he had his Chiari brain malformation because he had high and very sharp, acute episodes of extreme pain. The only thing that helped him immediately was smoking. Mm -hmm. And many times it's concentrates because they have a high amount of THC and relieves the pain Mm -hmm. right away because it works on your central nervous system, among other things. Mm -hmm. Um, That was immediate. Um, The second thing, it controls nausea through chemo. The third thing is, for Michael and any other person, that consumes and this is what the scientific studies also tell us it's not just antidotal but also scientifically if uh, someone wanted to study or go to pubmed.com 
on the internet and typed in cannabinoids and cancer, you'll see that there's over 25,000 studies that refer to cannabinoids. That's more than Tylenol. That's more than, more than a lot of medications, uh, believe me. And uh, uh, so you'll see the effect. So what I'm telling you is not in my own mind. This is information that our listeners could track down and do their own research. Mm-hmm. But uh, what specifically happens to cancer when it meets uh, a cannabinoid or the components or the compounds from the cannabis plant? There's five things that occur. One, um, it's anti-proliferative. Uh, I, it cannot reproduce. A cancer cell cannot reproduce uh, because the mitochondria inside the cell cannot replicate itself. It loses its energy and cannot reproduce. Number two, it's um, anti-angiogenic, meaning that veins, if you have a tumor, veins, when you have cannabis in your system, the veins from other parts of the body cannot reach the tumor. Number three, uh, it's anti-metastatic. A cancer cell cannot metastasize from one organ to another when cannabis is in your system. Uh, Number four, what it does is it causes uh, an interesting uh, term called apoptosis or cell death. Um, A cancer cell or any cell, in order for it to reproduce, uh, the mitochondria is the energy of the cell. When that's perturbed, it does its thing and among uh, many other mechanisms of action. And basically, when cannabis is around, the mitochondria of the cancer cells can't reproduce and they die off. Apoptosis is cell death, right? You have, what, 50 trillion cells, whatever, and we're always reproducing new cells every single day, every day. Well, the cancer cells can't grow. And the fifth thing it does, which is the most perhaps controversial, and, um, and so I'll be very clear but I will quote a hard science, it's called epigenetics. But cannabinoids cause or downregulate a gene response. So for example, you'll hear a lot of commercials today about genes, you have this gene and that gene, and someday out of the blue it's going to turn on and you're going to get cancer, or you're going to get this, or you're going to get that. Now considering you have over 22, 23,000 genes uh, and, you know, do the math of all the different combinations of opportunity and potential conflict of interest could occur here. But let's imagine that your genes are not preset. Your genes are the hardware of a computer. What you do to those genes is the software that you run. So epigenetics says that I can change the gene response according to my environment. If I take a cancer cell and put it in a Petri dish and I put a photocannabinoid in the same Petri dish, that cancer cell is going to die. It's just going to die because unless there's not enough um, cannabinoids in there. But it's going to die. It takes over. We just know that that happens. And so we see this over and over and over. And we've known this since 1974, that THC causes this response. One, it suppresses tumors, but more recently we know that it causes the gene not to respond. We've known this since 2007. Dr. Sean McAllister noticed that CBD alone caused breast cancer patient, uh, her cancer not to metastasize because of CBD. And then the study was later confirmed a couple years later in 2012 that not only that CBD was effective in suppressing metastasis of cancer cells and breast cancer, But the entourage effect utilizing and using THC had even a greater impact. And this is also confirmed by a number of doctors. Dropping knowledge on us here. (laughs) Uh, I actually do think that one of the most um, fascinating things right now about the research on it is what's been able to be achieved considering its federal ban, too, because there's uh, a ton of restrictions in place where... uh, where a lot of people will question the 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 science behind it, and one of the problems is that we don't fully know the extent of what we could actually research it because of how we uh, view it from a, a federal perspective. Right. Um, but one thing I'm I'm really curious about is what sort of of pushback did you receive when you became uh, a much more vocal advocate for it. A pot preacher. A pot preacher. And I'm really curious about what kind of pushback you received 
specifically from um, the religious community. You mentioned the Figi family uh, earlier, Charlotte's Web. Mm-hmm. Uh, I preached a sermon in October 2013 in Denver. And um, basically, uh, the leadership of the church that I was part of that at the time, and I don't blame them, and I understand where they're coming from. I'm not even angry or upset, but, you know, there's a evolution, there's a change, right? You know, some stuff's going to happen. There's going to be a consequence. So anyway, so I preached about Dr. Sanjay Gupta, Charlotte's Web, and what occurred was I basically got fired. Hmm. Yeah, so that's that was the response. And in order for me to keep my job as an evangelist and keep in mind I had resigned from the ministry in 2002 and then I was just rehired in May of 2013 and I had disclosed everything to the leadership about cannabis and then I preached a sermon on it in October 2013 and basically the leadership pulled the plug on it and said you know this guy basically is out of control. He needs to go to drug rehab. And it's actually, um, it's really cool. I mean, I think that would be a really cool discussion for us to have because we can, this has so many layers to it mm-hmm. because that process process took five months and I did a presentation in Los Angeles in front of a group of leaders. And this is a very, you know, it's a mega church. Mm-hmm. It's a mega church. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it was a very public event. Mm-hmm. And um, but I'm okay with it. Um, the problem I have with it is that people that I was addressing knew people in their church, in their congregation that had cancer. And I'm saying, wait a minute, I know a solution, a natural, non-toxic solution that can perhaps help you. Now don't limit people to a selection because at that time, you know, the whole thing of being illegal. But, um, you know, don't confuse legality with morality. Correct. They're not one of the same necessarily. Slavery, prohibition. Boy, boy, you could play that. War. War, (laughs) yeah. You know, oh boy. You know, that's... (laughs) Sorry, I didn't want to... No, that's okay. We don't want to open that can of worms, but, Mm -hmm. you know... um, you know, it's it's really sad that we're in this situation. I became more and more indignant. Now, some people will say angry. And what is indign- indignation is righteous anger. Now, to say I'm always righteous, I'm not going to say that. I'm, you know, just a regular guy. But, you know, when, when your kids get sick and you're facing death and you see other kids suffer and die, I'm sorry. My gloves are off, pal. You come up to me, my face. I'll face any doctor. I'll face any minister. And I will walk them through it. Mm-hmm. Now, let me go back to understanding the argument because it's federally prohibited. Um, most of the studies and the scientific studies are relegated overseas. A lot in Israel, Hebrew University, Spain. You've got Dr. Guzman. Uh, you have people all over the world that are brilliant. Here in Colorado, you have so many wonderful people. Doctors, nurses. And there's another whole subculture that you will never know their name, mm-hmm. okay? These are people that are just amazing therapeutic friends, <laughs> healers, mm. okay? So there's a group of people that exist that that take we take care of one another. Now, I tell people, if you want to have an intellectually honest debate, please invite me to your church, to a city council meeting, and I'm not going to be argumentative, but I will show people what is the collective wisdom, not one study versus another. You can have an audience, you can have someone stand up and say, hey, I started taking cannabis and my lung cancer disappeared. And the other guy on the other side of the room says, my kid started smoking pot and he's 27, he's got lung cancer. You know what I say to that? You know what? That's really interesting. One, first of all, ma'am, I'm so sorry about your son having lung cancer. Number two, why don't we look at this on a big picture perspective and let's look at the collective wisdom, whether it be case studies, antidotal, scientific, whatever it is. Let's really explore this and let's look at the ideology of cannabis, whether it be historical, scientific, medicinal. 
religious, all religions, even Christianity. In 1611, Robert Burton wrote a very famous book, still famous today, called The Anatomy of Melancholy. And he said the number one best treatment for it is cannabis. Robert Burton, 1611. Mm-hmm. So... As we are getting close to time here, uh, as the quote-unquote conservative in the room, I guess, at this point, (laughs) which I use that term loosely, um, for people that are tuning in, uh, and we're obviously going to have people that fall on both sides of this fence, um, what would be the top three things that you would say to just to encourage conversation around this topic. Excellent what are the question. top three things you would say, okay, here's the three things that I've learned that I would say at least start looking into because that's what this whole thing is about is creating conversations. So Absolutely. What are those three things? Okay. Well, number one, in the same way I would counsel someone or um, share with them the scriptures or the gospels, I would say, look, you don't have to believe me. Matter of fact, I really don't want you to just believe me. Now, hear what I'm saying. It's of interest. It may be of help for you, to your family, or to your loved ones, your coworkers, whoever. You need to consider it, and you need to apply principles of critical thinking, of exploration. That's what you need to do. Explore. Take your time. Number one. Number two. Things and the world, the way that they run, are not what they seem. The world is upside down. And I'm going to tell you something that's really important. You will come to the point. Some people in the world call it the WTF moment, (laughs) which I'm not going to say. (laughs) The Gospel of Thomas says, you seek and you will be troubled. Because at the end of the day, you're going to see that anytime money's involved and the seed of greed is involved, you're going to be very disappointed. You're going to be shocked. And you're going to be disturbed about what you may find. (laughs) Now, you can become bitter or better. And my encouragement to people is as you go through this process, number one, ask a lot of questions and start doing the research. Number two, be prepared to be emotionally disturbed. Number three, what are you going to do about it? You're going to get bitter or better, or you're going to start saying, hey, let's have an intellectual conversation about this. We have people that are very sick, are chronically ill. We have veterans where 22 to 25 of them put a bullet in their head every single day, and yet cannabis helps. We have cannabis helping all types of patients, MS, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, you name it. It it works for people. So let's explore it, is what I would say. And regarding the church... Um, I have a number of Bible studies that I have prepared and speeches to help churches understand it from a biblical perspective. Even though I'm not a staunch um, traditional uh, fundamentalist any longer, um, I think I have enough, hopefully, grace and mercy and understanding to help people through the process so that they understand what their choices are and not their limited selections. Perfect. Great. And I think... I think it's a huge thing, especially in today's climate, just to be starting this conversation. I think that's going to lead to tons of new doors opening, and you know that's kind of what we're all about. Um, so you do have a book coming out uh, soon? Yeah, the, the, here's where I'm at right now. I just signed uh, with a literary agency out of New York called Stone Song, and I have an agent. Her name is Adrian Rosado. And she'll start pitching the book here uh, in January 2019 to major publishers. Okay. So I'm very grateful for that. And what's the book called? It's called Pop Preacher. Okay. But again, you know, a publisher, they could change right. that around. Sure. Um, and so I'm under contract right now with Stone Song, and I'm very grateful for that. I tried self-publishing in the past and uh, getting a lot of advice from people. They say the story, it's called uh, a high-profile story. It's a complex story and they said I need an agent and there are a lot of things I have to be careful about getting this information out so so that 
everything goes well. Right. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jay, no. you know, so the publishing people, world. <laughs> so if people are interested in kind of following along and seeing what this comes out, uh, where can people find you online, those kind of things, so that they can sure. stay in touch? You can go to my website. It's uh, www.michaelsanicola.com. And my last name is S-A-N-I-C-O-L-A dot com, but I'm sure you'll have a link yeah, or something we'll link all that. Yeah, out we'll there. link all of it. Perfect. And uh, what they could do, if you're interested, if you're a church or a youth pastor um, or a senior pastor or anybody, a youth group, any sort of group that's interested in having me come out to speak and teach, I have a program. It's called WEED. And WEED is an acronym for We Educate and Ease Disease. And I go through the process of helping people on how to make decisions uh, using collective wisdom, also educating people about the cannabis plan uh, scientifically and medically, and how to ease disease. We have case studies. We have a lot of people that are very gifted that know how to apply the plant uh, to our health so that we have optimal health and we have a what they call a balanced endocannabinoid system. So we have a way of helping people bridge that gap and helping people look do i have a problem with weed or do i have a problem with something else hey i you know so we help people go through that process awesome that's great well we're very fortunate to have you so close to us too so yeah yeah. Uh, thank you for having me and i appreciate your show i listened uh to one and a half shows i believe and i appreciate um your dynamic (laughs) i think it's it shows a lot of maturity and be able to reasonably and rationally present different views. They're not always opposite, but you know, mm-hmm. mostly we have everything in common. Mm-hmm. One beer, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and two, hopefully, uh, an active endocannabinoid system. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys. You guys are awesome. I appreciate you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thanks again for joining us. So we want to call it then? Yeah. All right. So this was a Christian and atheist walk into a bar where we solve the world's problems one adult beverage at a time. Be sure to follow us at www.christianandatheist.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And again, Michael, thanks again for joining us. Yep. Make sure you jump on iTunes as well. Leave us a review if you're liking the show. And we will talk to you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers.